You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Jason Barry as he delivers economic ethics. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What would it look like for people to act on earth like people act in heaven? How would it shape our lives if we were able to reflect heaven? How would it shape the way we view our money? How would it change the way we approach work? How would it mold the way we love others on earth as it is in heaven? So welcome to 12 Stone here at the Central Campus, across our other campuses online. We're so glad that you are with us this weekend, and I think you're going to be glad that you made this a part of your weekend as well. As you just heard in the bumper, we're in a series right now. We're talking about what does it look like for the things of heaven to be true here, for us to literally bring the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to earth in the most practical arenas. In the first week, we talked about work and work ethic, and, and then last weekend, we talked about relationships, really practical stuff, and then today... Uh, we get to talk about money. Now, don't, don't get up. Stay, chill. Don't go for your wallets. We took the offering before the teaching, so it's not, not going to be weird. We're good. Some of y'all brought friends with you, and you're like, dang it. I knew this was not the week. I knew they were all about shaking me down. That's not what this teaching is. That's not what we're talking about. Here's, here's the reality. The reason we're talking about money is because Jesus talked about money a ton. Like, it's, it's the, the most taught about topic by Jesus in his whole earthly ministry. Do you know that? There are 2,300 verses on money. 15% of Jesus' preaching was on money. 11 of his 39 parables were about money. It's almost like Jesus knew that the way we view money, the way we handle money, the way that money affects us really matters. So you're not going to hear a guilt trip today. You're not going to get beaten over the head today. Today is a conversation that, in all honesty, the, the older I get, I don't know that we're teaching this anymore. And where else are we going to talk about this stuff except church? So we're going to talk about money today. So just relax. Everyone on three, take a breath. One, two, three. Exhale. Some of y'all had onions in your omelet. Um, Anyway, so we're talking about money. I've heard it said that money does not buy happiness. You guys heard that before? I heard a comedian say money doesn't buy happiness, but it does buy a jet ski. And I've never seen someone crying on a jet ski. So it it sort of doesn't buy happiness, (laughs) But it does buy a big screen TV, and I like seeing a big screen TV. Money doesn't buy happiness. I'm curious, by a show of hands, how many of you are more saver sort of wired versus spender wired? It's not good or bad. It's just your wiring. I'm just curious. How many of you are more in the spender camp? Like you, you sort of tend to lean that way. I saw a wife with two hands up and a husband with a head down <laughs> over there. Uh, I pray for you, my brother. Uh, how many of you lean towards the saver side? Like you tend to be a little bit more cheap, uh, like, like me. Okay. I, I'm, in the, I'm in the saver category. That's my wiring. My wife and I actually both lean that way. So it's interesting. Uh, my kids think that the Kirkland and Walmart brands are like high-end luxury brands. They, they've never seen a real Duracell battery. It's all Kirkland. We, 
we, we buy the, the off-brand stuff because it's like it's half the price and it's the same stuff. That's, that's our, I, but I do, I do draw the line. It's about two years ago, uh, I came upstairs and I had a moment where my wife said, Amber, listen, I am not a man of great means or wealth, but I do make enough money to get Charmin toilet paper instead of that sandpaper. <laughs> and we are done with the, the off-brand toilet paper. You didn't, you didn't need to know that. All right. So we're talking about money, but what are we really talking about? We're talking about our heart. Because what Jesus wants to do is he, he's not after your wallet. Jesus is after your heart. So everything we talk about in money actually is, is about a heart disposition. And we've been inside this golden rule conversation, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and the golden rule this week is not he who has the gold makes the rules. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the golden rule from Scripture. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And here's what I think Jesus wants to do. He wants to inform and change the way we view this. So I'm going to put it up here this way. He wants to take us from get more stuff all the way over to give more generously. So I think that's what Jesus wants to do in us today. He wants to take us from get more stuff where the world tells us the more you have, the more worth you have. That's why we call it net worth. You have worth in all the stuff that you have. And Jesus is saying, wait, wait, wait. I want, to, I want to teach you the golden rule. I want to teach you to give more generously. And we're going, to, we're going to look at a man in Scripture who took that journey. Jesus brought him through that journey, and we're going to look at it together. So grab your Bibles here across the campuses if you're online. We're going to be on page 1052 in Luke 19, starting with verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1, page 1052. And we're going to hear about a, a man in Scripture that Jesus took through this journey. Jesus taught, how do you go from get more stuff to give more generously? And we're going to sort of attack this passage verse by verse, one by one, throughout this together. So starting in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Pause. Talking about a man named Zacchaeus. And if when you heard that name, you started singing a song in your head, your grandma drug you to church when you were a kid. I'm going to do my best not, not to sing that. But it says that he was named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Let's pause for a second. What does it mean that he was a tax collector? Let me give you some historical context. Back in those days when the Roman government would conquer a city or a territory, they would then begin to extract great taxes from them, and that money would fund their, conquer, their conquering other cities. That's how they funded their conquests. And so what would happen is they, they would establish, you're the, you're the tax collector. But they discovered that when they put a Roman soldier in charge of collecting taxes, he could never understand the ins and outs of the finances of that town, that city, that territory. And so they would never be able to get the amount of taxes they wanted. So what they started doing was they would go find a local. Zacchaeus grew up here. He knew all how the business worked, how the money worked. And the Roman government came and sat down and said, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to make you the tax collector because you know where all the money's hidden. You know how things work here. You know the back alley deals. You know everything. You know all these people. We want you to be the tax collector. And the way they would set it up is they say, listen, Zacchaeus, you need to bring in this much money in taxes to us. Anything you take more than that, it's all yours. Think about that, what that would do to the heart of a man. So what Zacchaeus started to do was sell out all his friends. Zacchaeus was not a popular person. <laughs> when they heard Zacchaeus is coming, they weren't like, oh, sweet, come to the party. They're like, no, hide our stuff. Zacchaeus is coming. He was literally a thief. He would come in and use the Roman soldiers 
as muscle to take whatever he wanted from his own people, friends he grew up with, family, distant relatives, good people in the city. That's what he did. That's who he was as a tax collector. I don't like the thought of being that dude. (laughs) See, he sold his soul to get money, to get stuff. That's what he did. When it says he was chief tax collector, it means he just wasn't a normal dude. He was like good at taking money from people. He was the chief tax collector. See, I don't know about you, but I hate what it, when the feeling you get when you've been stolen from. Anyone ever had someone steal something from you? I'm just curious. I don't know why. It, it does something to me. I lived in downtown Indianapolis for several years. My brother, uh, in another life almost, 15 years ago, I had my car broken into twice. I had a lawnmower stolen. I had it chained up to the deck, and they cut the chain. I slept outside one night trying to catch them. It was just cold. I didn't, they didn't come. They saw me, and they left. I, I just don't like the feeling of what it feels like to be stolen from, and that's the life that, that Zacchaeus is living. So now let's continue with the passage now that we get that. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus was a wee little man. (laughs) And a wee little man was he. (laughs) And he climbed up in. I'm just kidding. I'm going to stop there. (laughs) Feels weird to call another man. Like, you're a wee little man. That's a bad day for anybody. So Zacchaeus, he's got everything he ever wanted, right? He's, he's loaded. He's wealthy. He's got a house, maybe a second house, maybe a summer home in the Sea of Galilee. Maybe. He's got the best horse or donkey or camel, whatever they were rolling with back then. He's loaded. Things are good. Maybe a jet ski, probably not. Things are good. He has everything that we ever could want. Like, that's the life many of us are chasing. But yet, he went looking for Jesus. Did you catch that? He was probably the richest person in the town. And he heard this Jesus cat's coming by and he's looking for him. Why? Because money can never satisfy. Listen, we can give this a head nod, but live different. Money cannot satisfy. Zacchaeus was unsatisfied at a soul level. He had everything he could want. He, he, He formed his whole life around, get more stuff, get money. And every time he got more cash and the next cool thing and bought the next thing, he hoped, God, let this satisfy, and it didn't. But when Jesus showed up, he went looking. Maybe this is the thing that will satisfy. Let's continue in verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Pause. Jesus had never met him, yet he knew his name. Jesus knows your name. You are not some distant, random creation of his. He knows you. He knew Zacchaeus, and he called him out. Verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Pause. This would have been like headlines on those supermarket magazines. Jesus meets with tax collectors. Like, you don't do that. The Jewish law would actually say you're allowed to lie to tax collectors because lying to an animal isn't a sin. That's a bad day. You're you're treated like an animal. But you notice what would happen to religious people? What did they start doing? They started chirping, didn't they? I can't believe Jesus is meeting with that guy. Just this, this one's free. 
This one, this is off to the side. This one's free. Listen, be careful when you chirp when you don't know what Jesus is up to. See, Jesus is, is about to change a life, and the religious people, all they could do is chirp, 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 chirp. Be careful. And this is what happened. After Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. What happened? Zacchaeus, his life was focused on get more stuff, give me money, I'm gonna do whatever it takes, stab people in the back, lie, cheat, steal, rob my own people, my own family, my own friends, and in a moment, he starts giving away money like it's Christmas. What happened? It's simple. This is not profound, but it's deeply profound. He met Jesus. See, when Zacchaeus met Jesus, suddenly everything that he, he tried to make money satisfy was satisfied in a moment. So you can't give away something that you think might someday satisfy you. When he met Jesus, everything else paled in comparison. Nothing on this earth has the value that Jesus does. In that moment, Jesus transformed Zacchaeus' heart. He was a different person. People were going, what? Zacchaeus is giving, what is going on right now? What happened to Zacchaeus? He met Jesus. You see, Jesus loved Zacchaeus. Money couldn't do that. Zacchaeus could love money. Money couldn't love him back. Jesus forgave Zacchaeus. There's no price that, can, that you can buy forgiveness for. Jesus was establishing a kingdom that would last forever. Money couldn't do that. Zacchaeus knew his money would die with him. All of this happened in a moment with Jesus. Zacchaeus went from being owned by money and money owning his heart to him just throwing money to people because <laughs> he met Jesus. But I want to be clear. Zacchaeus didn't give away all his money. Think about this. He gave away half his money. So if he has $10 million, I don't know. If he gave away half his money, I would still take that other half, wouldn't you? I'll take five mil. That's a good day. See, he wasn't, he, he wasn't, Jesus wasn't saying, go be poor. He was saying, I, I, I want money to not have your heart like it did. And so for Zacchaeus, in that moment, Jesus never said, give away your stuff, pay back people four times the amount that you stole from them. He never said that. But in light of who Jesus was, Zacchaeus was transformed in that moment. You see, what we're talking about today is not a prosperity gospel, where if you love Jesus, he'll make you rich. I don't believe that. It's also not a poverty gospel, where if you're a believer, you have to live in a shack out in the woods and have nothing. No, we're talking about stewardship. This is a theology of saying, listen, money doesn't have my heart. And for Zacchaeus, what happened in that moment is Jesus said, I don't want money to have your heart anymore. And his response, half my stuff's gone. I'm going to pay back all the people I stole. That's what Jesus invites us to. And when you meet Jesus, Jesus changes your relationship with money. And I think that's what God wants to do today. So we're about to turn a corner and get really practical. See, how do, you, how do you move from a person who wants to get more stuff to give more generously? I think Jesus wants to change the way that we see money, that we spend money, and that we invest money. And some of y'all are going, this doesn't feel like a church thing. Where else are we going to talk about this stuff? Don't you want the mind of God when it comes to money and resources? I want to know what God thinks. So God's going to walk us through how we see money, how we spend money, and how we invest money. And we're going to have a conversation that I was blessed uh, for my parents to have with me all through my life. I was raised by parents that helped me understand money and then they helped me understand debt, helped me understand how to, how to use money correctly. And the longer I live, the more I'm, I'm convinced that this conversation is not happening. So we're gonna have a family chat 
And this is what I would say to my kids if they were turning 18. This is the stuff I, I would talk about with my kids saying, listen, you, son, daughter, you gotta get this. See, God wants to change how you see, spend, and invest money. So we're gonna jump in. Here's how I believe God wants us to see money. The way you see money, God is my provider, money is a tool. This is, this is, in some ways, this is so simple, and you're gonna write it off, but it's not. This is foundational. God is my provider, money is a tool. In scripture, there's hundreds of scriptures that talk about God being my provider, but here's just one of the passages. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. All good and perfect gifts come from above. God is your provider. But if we're honest, sometimes it's hard to understand what that looks like. I'll just talk for myself. Listen, I work hard. And when I get a paycheck, it has, believe it or not, my name on the paycheck. <laughs> Doesn't have God's. Then I go drop it off at the bank, and the bank account has my name on the thing, not, not God's. And my credit card has my name on it. And when I spend money, it's my money that I worked really, really hard for. So God's my provider. See, I think sometimes we start at the wrong place. Let me give, let me give it to you this way. Here in about two years, my oldest son's gonna get his first job. Praise Jesus. <laughs> He's gonna go work somewhere, maybe a Chick-fil-A sort of a sort of situation make a little Jesus chicken. So he's, he's, he's gonna get a job. And here's what he's gonna be tempted to do. He's gonna work his 20, 30, 40 hours, however long you're allowed to work at 15, I don't know, probably not 40. Uh, he'll go work. And he'll get his first paycheck. Y'all remember the feeling of your first paycheck? I felt like a baller. It was like $118. I was like, I am loaded. Who's, it's on me tonight, boys, let's go. And he's gonna see his name in the paycheck and go, Dad, I'm providing I'm a man now, and he'll start saving up, and at some point, he'll, he'll take all that money he saved, and he's gonna go buy his first car, and he's gonna think, I bought that car. But he starts with where he started, not where his dad started. Here's what he, he doesn't realize yet. He slept in a bed the night before that I paid for, and he slept in a house that I paid for, and his room wasn't cold in the winter or hot in the summer because I paid the bills, and then he put on clothes that I paid for, then he came downstairs and got him a little Pop-Tart that daddy paid for. And I drove him to work and dropped him off in my car that I paid for, I have insurance for, I have gas for. And I picked his butt back up after work, brought him back home to get him another little Pop-Tart for snack. And he's thinking, I'm a provider. And we laugh at kids, but we do this. You go, listen, God, I worked hard for this money. Sure you did. But you forget, in the beginning, God created he created the earth we're standing on. He gave us oxygen to breathe. He, he, he allowed you to be born and gave you gifts and wirings and abilities. He gave you energy to wake up. He gave you a night's sleep last night. He let your heart keep beating. He gave you opportunities and open doors and windows and things for you that you could have never got your foot in the door and he got you there. And he gave you the strength to get through the day. And yet we still say, God, how are you my provider? What? God, you are my provider. And we have to bow to this. God, you are my provider. Until you bow to him as your provider, you will bow to money as your God. God wants to invite us to bow. God, you're my provider. You're a generous God. See, and once you bow to God as your provider, you can look at money as a tool now. See, Zacchaeus looked at money as his God, as his rescue, but now money's a tool. And tools aren't good or bad. 
Money's not good or bad. A screwdriver's not good or bad. That's a tool. How you use it's bad. Use it like, that's bad. But if you use it to fix, that's, it's a tool. I don't know, just go. So it's a tool. Money's not good or bad. The way you use it is good or bad. And so if money is a tool, how do we use it? See, I think God wants to change the way that we spend money. Change the way that we see it. God, you're my provider. Money's a tool. And I think God wants to invite us to change the way we spend money. We have to pray to draw lines. See, this is where it gets deeply spiritual. Prayer teaches us how to position earthly things in light of heavenly things. See, when you put money and your prayer together, you get stewardship. So you're not the owner. If everything you have was given to you by God, your provider, it's not yours. You don't own it. But when you put money and prayer together, you get stewardship. You are responsible to steward whatever God gives you. And I think the best way to do this is to pray. Say, God, help me draw different lines in my finances. For Zacchaeus, he drew new lines as soon as he met Jesus. Did you catch that? Used to be the line was, it's all mine all the time. And he meets Jesus, and now he draws a new line. Half my stuff goes to the poor. I'm not saying in any way that that's what you're supposed to do today. But I'm saying you have to take your finances to God in prayer and say, God, help me draw lines like you would draw lines. I want your mind for how I see money. So I want to take this very practically. Because listen, you can make 10 grand a year or a million a year and you still have to draw lines. So I want to give you two lines that are very practical. You've seen these before. But again, some of this is a review. Some of this, this is foundational stuff. The first line is the line of 10, 10, 80. If you're taking notes, 10, 10, 80. What does that mean? Here's what I mean by 10, 10, 80. The first 10% is tithe. Why? Because that's God's. God's my provider. He gave me everything. The first 10% goes back to him. Second 10%, that's, that's safe. Why? Because I have to build a future. There's gonna be emergencies I have to be able to pay for. And the last 80%, that's ours. Live on it. Why? Because you need a house. You need a place to stay. You need a car. You get to live on 80%. See, 10, 10, 80. Let me take it even more practical. The, uh, the national average in America of annual household income is $60,000 and change. We'll use 60 because it's easy. So very practically, if you've got $60,000 of income, the first 10%, which would be 6,000 or 500 a month, goes back to God. The next 6,000 or 500 goes into savings. And I recommend you spend several years building up an emergency fund so that when you have an emergency, it's not a crisis, it's an inconvenience because you have the money there. Then the last 80%, 4,000, that's yours. Live on it. But you have to draw lines. The problem is we don't like to live beneath our income level, right? I don't, I don't like to live inside of 80%. I want to live at 100, 105, 110. If you do, listen, if you do that, you will have fun today and you will pay the rest of your life. There are holes you can get yourself into financially that you can never dig out of. And I think God's just going, listen, I, I want you to get the right mind about how money works. Get the right mind. So if we've got to live inside of 80%, how do we do that? See, if you've got four grand a month to live on, you better not have a mortgage of 3,000 a month because you're in trouble. So how do we do this? The second line, we have to have a line of enough. The quickest way to begin managing money instead of money managing you is to place a line of enough on your lifestyle. If you don't draw a line of enough, someone else will. If you don't draw lines of enough, your credit card company will draw them for you. <laughs> if you don't, your bank will draw them for you. See, I just prefer to pick 
where the lines of enough are so someone else doesn't do it for me. See, this, this is true whether you're making $5,000 a year and you're a student or whether you're making millions of, of dollars a year. If you don't draw lines of enough, someone else will draw them for you. So why do you think lottery winners, like 80% of them go bankrupt? Do you know that? Some of y'all think if I won $200 million, I would never have a money problem again. You would if you don't draw lines of enough. It's because you see the interviews with these fools and they're going, man, I'm gonna buy my cousin Bubba six jet skis and I'm gonna get six houses and I'm gonna, you're gonna go broke, dummy. Like you gotta have a line of enough no matter how rich or how paycheck to paycheck you live, there has to be lines of enough. And when you spend more than you make, you will consistently be a slave to debt and debtors and credit card companies no matter how much you make or how little you make. So I want to give you a passage of scripture. There's dozens of them, but in Proverbs, here's what it says. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. See, when we're saying lines of enough, you're saying, I'm, I'm limiting myself. I'm saying, God, I need self-control. Help me see the places, God, where I'm overspending. I'm living too lavishly for what I'm making right now. See, some people have been praying for God to give them financial breakthroughs. And listen, not everybody, but for some of you, he's given you enough. You've just not drawn lines of enough. He's answered that prayer already. We've just got to do our part. See, I'm trying to teach my kids self-control. Don't we, parents? We're trying to teach our kids self-control. By the time they leave, I want them to be able to control themselves. My youngest son, however, Lincoln, is, uh, I can't exaggerate this enough. Like, you're not going to believe. He loves candy in a way that is unhealthy and a little bit scary. Like, he can smell a, like a Halloween candy bar in its wrapper, in a Ziploc bag, in the next neighborhood over, and he'll snort it out. He'll find it. Like he, so at this point, we can't trust him with self-control, so we have parent control. Like we have to say, you get one piece, son, that's it. So uh, about two months ago now, we were over at uh, my wife's sister's house, and they have kids, and the cousins are playing in the basement together, and we sort of stuck them down there for a couple hours. They're playing, they're having a great time. It's time to go, 8, 30, 9 o'clock. So I go downstairs to get the kids, and what I did not know is that they had hidden their Halloween supply uh, candy bag down in the basement. They didn't know. They didn't, how could they know? Lincoln smells it. He smells it through the bag. So they didn't know, so they put it down there. So I walked down, and on the floor, I'm not at 30, 40 wrappers of little bite-sized Twix bars, Snickers bars, Milky Ways all over the floor. And there's Lincoln in the corner with just chocolate on his, on his face. I'm going, son, what did you do? And he was like, it was awesome, Dad. <laughs> And I'm going, son, there are consequences for this. Let's, let's, let's go. So we clean up the wrappers, got in the car, we start driving home. And about 10 minutes in the drive, Lincoln's like, dad, I don't feel so good. And I'm going, son, hold it. We got 20 minutes. Hold it. He's like, dad, I don't, I don't feel so good. I'm like, Amber, get back there. So she jumps back, finds a Kroger bag, and he starts to vomit with a violence that I don't know that I've ever seen before. You've never seen a Snickers bar until you've seen it partially digested Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so I'm in the driver's seat, and I'm, I'm like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Everyone, everyone relax. Kids, the, my daughter's crying. We're all sympathetic vomiters, so we're like, oh, this is going to go bad. We got the windows down, just trying to air it out. 15, 15 minutes left. I'm going to go TMI. The sound the bag made when my wife dropped it in the gar... It's a, it's a sound... I will never forget. Listen, listen. If you don't draw lines of enough, you will have a mess on your hands. 
Lincoln had a mess all over him. And some of your finances look like a bag of puked up chocolates, if you're honest. <laughs> Why? Because you're not drawing lines of enough. And here's where we, here's where we fall into a mess. We, we start to find our identity in stuff. Start to find your identity, what you buy, what you spend. See, it's a spiritual issue. See, I want to just advise you, start where you're, start where you're, where you're, you're stuck, you're broke. If you're in debt, stop spending more than you make. And then start spending less than you make. And then start paying down debt. And then start saving an emergency fund. And then start invest. Like, you've got to start where you're broke. And I know I can't, I can't answer all those questions in one teaching. But start where you're broke. So this is a helpful statement. Our, our executive pastor, Dan Rowland, who's brilliant, says this. It's so good. You might want to write this down. You can have almost anything you want. You cannot, however, have everything you want. Catch this. You can have almost anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. I believe if you wanted to get a Rolls Royce, you could save up long enough and get one. Now, you might have to live in it, but you, you, you could eventually buy one. You can have almost anything you want, but everything else has to bow. Here's the conversation I have with young staff when they come on staff. You have to pick your thing. Pick your luxury. It's a hobby, maybe. It's golf. Maybe you're a car guy. Man, I want a fast car. Awesome. That's your thing. I'm, I'm a house guy. I want to have a, a nice house for the kids. Great. I'm a foodie. I want to go hit all the cool spots, all these famous chefs. It's not me. I'm Chick-fil-A's cool, but go where you want. That, that, if you want that, great. I'm, I want to travel the world. I want to see this whole beautiful world God made. Awesome. Pick your thing. Here's the problem. You can't pick two. And if you don't know what your one is, you've got more than one and you're in trouble. The quickest way to go broke is to have luxury after luxury and not decide this is the thing. And by the way, if you're making that 60,000 national average and you're married, you and your spouse have to agree on what your luxury is. You don't get to go dibs, golf, it's mine. And your wife's like, well, man, no, it's not how it works. You got to pick your luxury. And if you're, a, if you're a house guy, great, drive a used car. If you're a car guy, great, have a sweet car, but don't go out to eat every night. Don't travel the world and have a moderate house. If you, you want to be, I want to golf five times a week. Awesome, go nuts, but you better be eating takeout, better not be eating takeout food every day. You better bring your paper bag lunch to work, right? You gotta pick your thing. If you have more than one, you are going to go broke and it is ultimately a spiritual issue. See, once you start to recognize God's my provider, money's a tool, start to draw lines, 10, 10, 80. Live underneath your means, draw lines of enough. Once you do that, you have options you didn't have before. And I think Jesus wants to shift the way we invest money as well. We have to have the discipline to hold lines. We have to have the discipline to actually hold. It's not enough to just say, that's my line. And then every month you step over it, you're hosed. <laughs> Got to have the discipline to actually hold lines. And there are two things that I want to talk to you about, two investment thoughts that you need to know. And this is going to get super practical, but this if you are under 35, this is like you could change your trajectory of your life type of stuff right now. College students, like write, jot it down. This is helpful. The first I want to talk about is ROI. You ever heard of the term ROI? It's return on investment. Here's what ROI means. It means I, how much money am I win, getting, getting or losing based on the amount of money I invested in something. I put money into an investment. How much do I get back? How much more or less do I get back? And a good return on investment is when you get more money back than you put in, right? Does this make sense? And the way, this is the way that you make money work for you. 
If you have to earn every dollar one-to-one for your future, you're never going to be able to retire. I know I'm getting real, but this, where else can we have this conversation? You've got to make enough money and live enough under your money so you can put it into investments. So this is how money starts to work for you instead of you always working for money. And I want to give you a term that is the close. This is the closest thing to magic or miracles that exist on this earth that are not connected to Jesus. And it's this compound interest. <laughs> compound interest is the closest thing to an actual miracle this earth has. Here's how compound interest works. Students, listen up. College, listen. Compound interest is how you actually gain enough wealth to retire someday. Here's how it works. You put in an amount, $1,000 into a, the, the most typical product is a 401k, a retirement plan, that kind of thing. And it's a, it's a diversified account across stock markets, mutual funds, all this stuff. And it gives you a rate of return, a rate of ROI, a return on investment, a rate of interest. And let's pretend that you put $1,000 in and you had 6% return, which is a good average number. What would happen is that would come back and the interest you make at the end of the year, you'd have $1,060 now in your principal. And the next year you make interest on the 1060 not just the 1000 So the next year you have $1,125. And then over time, this thing begins to grow exponentially. You're, you're going to think I'm crazy. I'm going to take it even more practical. So if you're making that 60000 national uh, average income and you, you take your 10% save and you just invest half of it, that's $3,000 a year. That's $250 a month. If you, inv- if you just took that $250 and put it in a shoebox every month for 30 years, $250 a month in a shoebox, at the end of 30 years, you would have $90,000. That's a, that's a good amount of money. But listen, if you were to put that into an interest, a compounding interest account over 30 years, that $90,000 would turn into $251,000. That's because your money was working for you. See, there's, there's no other way to have your money work for you other than investing it. And God wants to give you ROI, return on investment. God wants us to be wise and steward what he's given us. God wants us to grow in this. See, but Randy Alcorn said this, and this is just always true. This quote is, is a shift for us. God prospers in me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. See, ultimately, God's not trying to get us all rich. God wants to invite us to steward what he entrusts to us so that we can eventually be generous people. Remember the beginning? To go from want more stuff to give more generously. And there's a second investment thing that I want you to understand, and it's this. It's E-R-O-I. What does that stand for? Eternal return on investment. You know, there's things that you can invest in that last beyond your life. Do you know that? There are things that we can invest in in the kingdom that live beyond our life. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, and it's beautiful. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus seems to be saying, listen, you can begin to store up things for yourself in eternity. Things that will last, that can't be stolen, that moths can't eat away, that vermin can't chew up and destroy. We get to invest in his kingdom. And there are things we can invest in. Like we we talked about students today. What we're investing in the next generation, that's going to last into eternity. See, we started here at the very beginning. There's a reality that we want to go from get more stuff to give more generously. 
And what Get More Stuff is about is only ROI. Even Zacchaeus understood ROI before he met Jesus. And when you are all about Get More Stuff, let me tell you what you're building. You're building a dynasty. And dynasties die with you. But when you can say, I'm about ROI, oh yeah, but I'm about eternal return on investment as well. What you start to build is you start to build a legacy. And legacies last beyond your life. And there are things you can invest in with your money that can last generations from now. And you can build a legacy, not just for your family, but for the family of God. See, the primary place that you invest in eternal return on investment is a local church. And we're like a kingdom mutual fund where we're diversified across the globe, across the country, across the state, across this territory. And the things, when we say Vision 2021, souls, families, communities, launching campuses, planting new churches, that's kingdom ROI, eternal ROI. And God invites you to leave a legacy. And that's true whether you're worth billions or whether you're paycheck to paycheck. God wants to invite you in to leave a legacy bigger than yourself. But just like Zacchaeus, this all starts at a heart level. See, all this starts with, this is not, this is not about God shaking, shaking you down for cash. I want your wallet. No, he wants your heart. And maybe if we're honest in a room this size, there are people who are like Zacchaeus and money is your God, whether you'd admit it out loud or not. And you would sell your soul to make more money. And you think if only I had a little more money, I'd be satisfied. And just like Zacchaeus, whether it's today or tomorrow or a decade from now, you'll realize money never satisfies, but Jesus does. Maybe you're in a situation where you don't know how to bow to God as your provider and you go, yeah, I love Jesus. He's great, but I work hard for this. I, I, and and you, you don't know how to make money not your God. Until God's your provider, money is. Money makes a terrible God. Maybe you trust God as your provider, but you don't know how to draw and hold lines. And honestly, we're in America. That is one of the cardinal sins in this country. We don't know how to hold lines financially. And you're overspending and you're looking for things to fill you up. And you're asking money to do things that God never designed it to do. Maybe today you leave and say, God, I'm gonna have to sell that car. I'm gonna have to go get a beater for a while and just a junky old car and live in that underneath my means. I'm not, you might have to sell a house. You might have to get rid of a boat. You might have to, but you got, God, I gotta live inside the lines. God, help me find the lines of enough. Maybe you're sitting here and you never thought about return on investment. Even more importantly, maybe you never thought of eternal return on investment. God might wrestle with you and say, I want you to, make a, to leave a legacy. Not just build a dynasty with your name on top, but leave a legacy with the name of Jesus on top. But that's how, that's how God invites us to see money different, to spend money different, to invest money different. So as the campus pastors are stepping up, we're gonna have an honest moment of prayer. We're gonna invite God to speak in how we see, how we spend, and how we invest money. Campus pastors, would you lead us? Hey, what's up, church? Let's stand to our feet as we begin to worship today. Hey, look, there's freedom in his presence and there's power in your praise as you press in the worship. So come on, let's lift our voices and connect them as we sing. Come on, sing it. You'll see it on the throne of mercy. Your glory shine.
You reign in all the earth. 